0: The Week That Was with Joe Palmisano.
1: It is the 25th day of January, and it is 2020, as you know, and this is The Week That Was. As you know, I am your humble, yet precocious host, Joe Palmisano, accompanied by J. David Ress, with the news, my sidekicks, John Bezica and Stephen Potter, who have already kicked me in the side three times before the show started. So what was the saying? Nero fiddled while Rome burned. We have tens of thousands likely infected with a virus that is spreading through China like a wildfire making its way around the world into the United States. There have been two cases now confirmed, one in Washington, one in Chicago, with 20 or so likely already infected. We'll get into that. We're going to talk about it. We've got another caravan moving through Mexico to the United States. We have drugs pouring into this country and obviously... Nobody's talking about it, Um, and yet the media is glued on an impeachment trial full of bluster and politics that will, as I've told you from the very beginning, amount to nothing but bluster and politics. We have urgent matters that need to be worked on for the American people while are elected and paid for us, officials are paid by us. Officials seek political points in an election year. Thus is the state of our world, misappropriated attention, focus, and time, while Rome burns. But before that, before we get into all those things, let's look at what happened on this date in history. In 1870, the soda fountain was patented by a gentleman named Gustavus Downs, or Dows, I'm sorry. 1870, the soda fountain.
2: It's like one of those things that you just don't hear anymore. Like people aren't like, "Hey, we're gonna go down to the soda fountain later and get like." No, that doesn't soda
1: happen. fountains were great places. People could go; they could sit around, talk. It was a place to meet. I feel like it's
2: a very like archaic phrase now, though. Like
1: soda fountain.
2: Yeah, like people like you don't. As I said, you don't just see people like running around the street, like tossing a quarter in the air, like you used to, and just being like,
1: "Hey, you want to go to the soda fountain, kid?" yeah but my mom used to take me when we'd go downtown Akron shopping things there there was a uh everyone probably there was knew. a kresges okay that had a soda fountain in
2: it. and I'm guessing everybody probably knew the person that ran that place didn't they
1: i don't know i don't know i she might have but i i didn't I just sat down and had my whatever they served me <laughs> you know we still have the Taggart's, which is kind of a soda fountain.
2: It is. That whole soda fountain, though, diner thing, that that thing kind of died off you know, at some point. I wish it would make a comeback. I think it would be cool for society to have that again. Yeah. It was a place we where we could go. We have Taggart's.
1: That's the one. You can go in and get your Bittner. It's the best in town. I know. In 1894, Gentleman Jim Corbett. KO'd Charlie Mitchell in three rounds for the heavyweight boxing title in 1894. Gentleman, Jim Corbett. Probably had a big handlebar mustache, I would bet. I think he probably did. I think you're right. And in 1915, on this date, Alexander Graham Bell, he was sitting in New York, called Thomas Watson, Hello, Watson. Do you remember that? In San Francisco. Mm-hmm. On this date, 1915. In 1961, Walt Disney sent out and premiered 101 Dalmatians. Really? In 1961. That's, of all the
2: animated Disney movies, I think that's still my favorite. Mm-hmm.
1: That's 1961. Allie wonder? and I
2: actually just watched that like a month ago. Wow. I'm not even lying. We did.
1: Good. I didn't think you were lying. Why would you lie about I it? I don't know. I could have. <laughs> it would have been. It would have been <laughs> but uh, why? Such an elaborate <laughs> lie. How did he tell it? <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, state senator in of all places, Idaho introduced a bill to decriminalize drugs in the state of Idaho. As those of you who know me, the regular listeners, you know, I truly believe that we should be seriously discussing how to make drug use a health care issue and not a criminal one. I truly believe that. I mean, it's like I, I keep saying this, and it's all based on uh, the fact that If you keep repeating the same thing over and over and expect different results, it's insanity. That's what we're doing. So what has the war on drugs gotten us? Gangs, both worldwide and nationally, trillions of dollars of wasted tax dollars spent, broken homes, prisons that are exploding with simple users who need help rather than incarceration. I will not bend from this position. I I can't bend from this position. It is truly the only answer to the problem. So today at 10, I actually found the senator, state senator in Idaho, and we're going to speak with him live. Uh, His name is Grant Burgoyne, and uh, I'm going to ask him why he chose to introduce this bill, because a lot of people in Idaho think he's crazy. The police... Uh, Local police unions, all the state police unions, everybody, the attorneys, uh, lawyers, have all come out against this. They've all attacked him for it. Um, So he's taking a lot of heat. And what does he hope to accomplish? So we're going to speak live at 10 o'clock. We're going to speak live with Idaho Senator Grant Burgoyne about why he introduced this bill and what he's hoping to accomplish. We have to talk about the coronavirus that is sweeping through China. uh, With cases reported now in the U.S., through Europe, London, everywhere, Indonesia, Malaysia, you name it. It's now spreading fast, doubling. We don't know how many people have it because what happens is, is there's a, at least a five-day incubation period where you do not have symptoms. So people have traveled everywhere. They're trying to now put quarantines on big cities in China. But likely it's too late. And so we're going to talk about what's going on with this, how it's going, uh, what it means, uh, what some other stories. It was interesting because another story came out that I read before this even started about pandemics. The last one was 100 years ago, and we'll talk about that. Uh, But what's to be done about it? There are many more stories from this week, and we're going to try and get through them all. Uh, And we have, obviously, our trifecta contest. You're going to have sports. You're going to have news. You're going to have everything you need to finish off your week and start the new one, as the week that was continues right after this. Stay tuned. That is not a Saturday morning commercial. Anyway, it's contest time. This is a basketball, well, it's a sports kind of trivia. Just a trivia trivia. Here are your answers for today. Later on in the show, you get the questions. If you get them right, you get a $25 gift card to Anytime Fitness. It's that time of year. Get in shape. Anytime Fitness, they have uh, two locations here in Stark County, $25 gift card to get started on your journey. Here are the three answers for today. Six, six, the number six, Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali. Number three, Michael Schumacher. So you have six, Muhammad Ali, Michael Schumacher. Six, Muhammad Ali, Michael Schumacher. Got it? Later on the show, I'll give you the questions. If you get them right, you will win the $25 gift certificate to Anytime Fitness. Everyone just left. Here in the studio. Steven's not here. John's not here. I don't know where Jay David is. So I'm just sitting here. They may have just walked out. Anyway, they um, anyone looking for a cat, I know Pam Cook loves cats. And I, I, I'm gonna recommend this to her. But there is a cat in North Carolina, it's in a shelter. Now, cats are a little bit eccentric. Everybody knows that. They just kind of do what they want. But there's one in a shelter in North Carolina that has been labeled the world's worst cat. And the shelter is actually waiving adoption fees in hopes someone will take Satan's evil spawn off its hands. This cat, the owners that turned her in said, or no, the people in the shelter said that we thought she was sick. Turns out she's just a jerk, they said, at this rescue. The little hellion's name is Perdita, and she's not for the faint of heart, according to the adoption that reads like something out of a bad dating app. Um uh, she's in a shelter about fifty five miles northeast of Asheville, but you could have this cat for free she's the The ad reads she's single and ready to be socially awkward with a socially awkward human who understands personal space now i I'm not saying that is that is Pam. I didn't mean it like that when I said this would be great for Pam but She could handle this. Here's what the ad says about the cat. Seriously, meet Perdita, not for the faint of heart. Likes. This is lists her likes. Staring into your soul until you feel as if you may never be cheerful again. The song Cat Scratch Fever. The movie Pet Cemetery. Church is her hero. Jump scares, her specialty. Jump scares. Lurking in dark corners. Being queen of the domicile. Fooling shelter staff into thinking she's sick. Vet agrees. She's a jerk. Dislikes. The color pink. Kittens. They're too chipper. Dogs, children, the Dixie Chicks, Disney movies, Christmas, and last but not least, hogs. This is the cat. One, guy, one person said, we are animal lovers and very patient, but we've been concerned about her for a while. I'm looking at her right now, And she's rolling around in her little bed, looking all sweet and cute. But the minute you try to rub her, she slaps you. We thought she was in pain and took her to the vet. And he said, no, this cat is just a jerk. I hope Parita finds a home of her dreams. The shelter said, us too. We want her out of here. Here's the number to call if you want her, 828-765-6952, 828-765-6952. Somebody adopt Parita, please. No, I'm not. (laughs) I've got two little dogs at home. (laughs) I'm not doing that. Somebody who's patient, somebody who is a cat whisperer. Good luck with Parita. Um, Iguanas falling from trees. That's that's another story. Miami uh, office has issued a warning amid cold temperatures. Apparently, when the temperatures get to be 30 or 40 in South Florida, iguanas get lethargic, completely immobile, and fall from trees. So there is a warning out there about the National Weather Service issued a falling iguana alert alert on Tuesday. Be prepared for falling iguanas. At the same time, I found another sign, a street sign. Seriously, beware of falling deer. I swear this is a street sign. And it said, leopards conceal their unfinished food in the tops of trees. And so you have to be careful. Now, what about the leopards? (laughs) Don't be worried about, I'm going to worry about falling deer from trees, but it gives no warning about the leopards that are hiding the deer. Really? Unbelievable. All right. We come back. We're going to get into some sports. We're going to get into Antonio Brown. We're going to find out what's going on in basketball. We're going to talk, uh, I don't know, we'll just talk with John Bazica. Stay tuned. Please don't ever put any music on my show with little laser sounds in it. You play this every week? (laughs) Steven said, I'll play this every week now. I hate that. I hate that little laser sound. You
2: don't like that sound in the background? That pew!
1: No, it's like, (laughs) really? You know, Diana Ross did a song with that in it, too. And I hated it. It (laughs) I'll have to
2: find
1: that one for next week. Oh, (laughs) thank
2: you. You know, what was that, though? Like, seriously, there was a point there where... All, like, musicians were finding sound effects and crap like it was, that.
1: It was during the, the disco time. But it was, like, synthesizers and stuff, yes. wasn't it? Yeah. No, they had real lasers. They well, no, I know. people. Yeah. The, no, there it was, was, yeah. No,
2: there was the famous one that Han Solo and Luke Skywalker did where they were just hitting their <laughs> yeah. lightsabers against each other. Yeah. That was
1: a really famous one. Yes. But they, it, I hate that sound. It's like, Really? They they put that in because that was the that was kind of at the, the time you pointed to the sky like John Travolta whenever the <laughs> pew, pew.
2: You know, can we talk about the fact that Saturday Night Fever, arguably, you know, a great movie for John Travolta, like kind of made his career early in his career, but it's a horrible movie.
1: Oh, it's terrible. Like it, nothing, terribly it, acting. The girl in it is Atrocious! Literally,
2: like the entire like first hour of the movie is just John Travolta with a bunch of like Italian people, and like they're just screaming well, that at part each other. I like. Yeah, but like it's it's poor acting though. Still, like he literally no, enough, just walking but... down the street. He's like, hey,
1: yeah, a guy falls off the bridge. Yeah, and I'm just like, you know, it's real kind of dark. It's a dark. But then, but hey, then they dance. He's one hell of a dancer. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> He's he he really actually becomes a good dancer in <laughs> the one that Sylvester Stallone de- produced. Said the the second one, "Staying Alive." He actually becomes pretty good dancer. It would have just that. been
2: better if Sylvester Stallone had played the part because then it would just be, like, "Hey, I'm, gonna dance. Uh, uh, I'm uh,
1: staying alive by the Bee Gees." Uh, yeah. uh, I saw a, a movie with. Uh, I played that the other day on the show. We still have that Tony Danza and Sylvester Stallone. Oh, I had I took it off my phone, but I'll play it. I, it's like what? Nah. Anyway,
2: we were telling you that we were watching a movie last. I was watching a movie for, last night. Forgive Stephen, me, lovely. Farewell, my lovely.
1: Farewell, my lovely.
2: And Sylvester Stallone was in that. Yeah, yeah. he doesn't say anything. He's just like a young. Because like, he
1: can't. I, I kept expecting Yo, him
2: to hey like dude, where's pull. my hat. I kept expecting him to pull a gun and be like, is that Robert Mitchum? Yo, cut
1: me, <laughs> Mick. Uh Planters Peanuts. They killed Mr. Peanut. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. They what? killed him in a car accident. How can you do that? He was trying to save Wesley Snipes and the guy from Veep. Matt Walsh. He was trying to save them. And apparently, he swerves to avoid an armadillo, the vehicle goes off a cliff, three guys spill out and end up hanging on a branch, (laughs) and since it's too heavy for all three, Mr. Peanut sacrifices himself and dies. That's just nuts. It's a bad one. I mean, but... They're going to do this in the Super Bowl? How depressing. I think they're teasing it. A video posted yesterday shows Mr. Peanut driving his nutmobile with Wesley Snipes and Matt Walsh. (laughs) uh, Unfortunately, and then they came out and said, unfortunately, we have some very bad news for the lovers of Peanut. Planters has killed off
2: Mr. Isn't this just going to end up being like an ad then? That's like try Planters new roasted peanuts with three times the flavor.
1: I don't know. Like, isn't that what's going to happen? I don't know. For me, those commercials will just be a shell of themselves. Yeah, I, I, I just, I don't see it happening. I don't. Did he? Did he crack? Did he spill out? You know. It's just—it's nuts. It's—it's so sports, Joe. All right, great. But this is Super Bowl. (laughs) That was sports.
2: I was going to say, did you see that the Philadelphia Flyers mascot Gritty was uh, (laughs) like involved? He was killed off too. No, he was involved in like a like a criminal thing. Like he apparently hit a kid. No. Yeah. While (laughs) being gritty. Have you seen Gritty? Have you seen a picture of Gritty? No. He is the most frightening thing in the world. Literally. Is I, he
1: is he more frightening than Pater Pete?
2: He makes Pater Pete seem like uh, like child's
1: play. This my is, my son, I was coaching at UTEP. Pretty
2: doesn't look frightening. It's pretty frightening. I mean if you ran into that thing in a dark alley, you'd definitely run the other way.
1: I don't think so.
2: Yeah. I no, would uh,
1: Pater Pete you'd run from. Pater Pete had a thick beard had a pickaxe that he carried because he was a miner at Utep cuz Utep was miners and Pater Pete was my son was deathly afraid of Pater Pete now he was only about 2 or 3 and this mascot would come around well see they've changed him they made him harmless they made him more lovable yeah because he was frightening I mean, the, he was frightening with Let's a pickaxe. Old Peter, Pete. Ooh,
2: that, that is, um. Are we talking about this guy right here?
1: Yeah, it was even worse than that when I yeah, was it's there. Yeah, pretty frightening. It was even worse than that. All right, Antonio Brown. What in a, it, it, this guy is on a collision course with, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he kills himself. And that's the last thing. I I would not be surprised if he he needs help in a big way. And now I'm starting to I've gone from disliking the guy to actually worried about the guy.
2: Well, and now that that documentary about Aaron Hernandez has come out and there's been all the discussion about how bad his CTE was, and how
1: I don't believe that CTE caused anything with Aaron Hernandez. I don't buy that.
2: But it still raises the question: Could it be causing these things
1: with Antonio Brown? No, no, you don't think so? No, really? No. Been a lot of people hitting the head many times who don't do the stuff that Aaron Hernandez did, or or. Uh, Antonio Brown or anybody else. I, I You know, it's real easy to, to, to justify and to place blame on things and take it away, make a person who's acting stupidly the victim and say, oh, it's because of football, it's because of concussions. There's a lot of people who've been hit in the head who don't act stupid. I've had multiple concussions. I know, I know. I I, I don't <laughs> want to throw a rock at you. I don't want to beat you up. I don't want to do something stupid. I don't want to uh, go out and shoot people. I do find it unique, though,
2: that they were saying that the thing with Hernandez, that his brain was like the worst that they had seen, like in terms of that. Yeah. You know, and I, I just, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I just think that's an interesting <laughs> idea. I mean, I... There might not be any any legs to it at all, but it is kind of strange that just a couple years ago, Antonio Brown was
1: very quiet. Was I, It's because he was under the Steelers organization. Sure. The Steelers, the worst thing that could have ever happened to Antonio Brown and to Le'Veon Bell were leaving the, was leaving the Steelers. The thing
2: is, I think... I think Le'Veon Bell, really, since he left the Steelers, has been fairly quiet.
1: He has, I mean, he's, like, but he's also been very quiet on the field. He
2: has been. I mean, when you watch the Jets, he's clearly the best player that they have, I would say. But that doesn't exactly mean much for them anymore.
1: No. And, and, and he's no longer the guy who looks like he could get in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And, well, and nor could... Nor, is Antonio Brown ever going to see the football field again.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's and that's the thing that's most unfortunate is that when Antonio Brown was playing at such a high level, you know, I mean it was it was amazing to watch him go. I mean, he was amongst the best in the league almost every single year, if not the best. Yeah.
1: And he because he was in a great organization who knew how to handle him.
2: I did have someone tell me this week that they think Antonio Brown will be a hall of famer. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. No, not now, not now. I don't think you can do all of this stuff and and be a hall of famer. Mm-hmm. I, well,
1: yeah. I, I was mean, going he, to say. I was going to say that. Uh, you you look at uh, OJ Simpson. Of course, he got in before. Yeah, there was there was no situation yet. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's true. That's true. I don't know. I just i. I mean if, if Antonio Brown had stayed on the career course that he was on, then yeah, he'd be a Hall of Famer, but now that he's become a shell of himself, like Mr. Peanut,
1: he will not be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> That's nuts. Um When we come back I want to get into uh the Browns a little bit. And then we'll Do we have to? Well, I want to get into Kareem Hunt. What do <laughs> we do with him? What happens with him now? They obviously smelled marijuana in the car. They said that. That's why they searched the car. When he rolled down the window, the cop smelled marijuana. Now, can you smell marijuana with little bits of it in the car without smoking it? Mm, I suppose, but I think it would be kind of hard to smell it at that point. It was in a backpack, so it's sealed in a backpack. How do you smell it unless he's smoking it? It smells, so it smells even in a backpack. By opening up a window and standing outside, come on, it's possible. You have to have a good sniffer. I, I, then it comes down to all right. Does he get drug tested now? We'll talk about that when we come back. Stay tuned. Much better song, thank you. It's a really good song. Your love. Has taken me higher. Uh, Kareem Hunt. All right. First of all, <laughs> if you know you have marijuana in your car, why would you go ninety miles an hour?
2: Yeah, that I don't have an
1: answer to. In the morning, early morning, you're out late. I mean, everybody knows. Your every father has said nothing good happens after midnight. Sure. You're going 90 miles an hour in probably a very nice car. Mm -hmm. You have marijuana in your car. You have marijuana in your car because why? You're smoking it, probably. It's against the NFL rules to be smoking marijuana. Now, they didn't cite him for possession, so what does the NFL do with that? Does the NFL do its own investigation now since he wasn't even cited for possessing marijuana
2: I don't know because I mean you know the NFL is going to try to make an example of this in some way I mean that's
1: what they do with all of these cases well but they but there was no he wasn't even cited he was only cited for speeding what do the browns do in that situation
2: see that to me, that's the bigger question, because if the Browns are truly still trying to change their culture, and let's say that when you brought in Kareem Hunt, which was a John Dorsey move, right, no longer in the building, but let's say when he was brought in, you gave him like three strikes, because he was already, to me, on a short leash, as it was because of the situation a couple years ago.
1: And there was multiple situations. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So it's like to me, if he's on like a two or three strike basis, however many it may be, like he's close to exceeding that limit at this point. Because like this is the second time in like half a year that he's been involved in something that is controversial again. He's a great football player, but he can't keep his nose clean. And I mean, at a certain point, Joe, if you're the Browns, you have to say, look, you have a lot of talent, but. We can't keep coming up with excuses as to
1: why you keep screwing up like this. And then the other part of it has to be, does the NFL finally say, you know, he wasn't even cited by the cops, he's got marijuana, everybody's got marijuana. Let's just let this thing slide.
2: I think at a point that's going to have to happen because if the reports that you know Calvin Johnson was saying about, what, seven, eight months ago or real, that a lot of players smoke marijuana after games to relieve the pain, mm-hmm. then eventually the NFL is going to just have to look the other way and say it's healthier than giving someone an opioid. Which
1: brings me, which, which will, will dovetail into my interview at 10 o'clock with the gentleman yeah. in Idaho. All right. The the other part of this is George Payton, who I thought was the perfect fit for the Cleveland Browns because of his closeness to Stefanski, mm-hmm. uh, because of his expertise in, in uh, personnel, all that stuff. I thought it was a slam dunk that he should be the one. He pulls himself out. <sighs> he pulls himself out probably because likely because he didn't like the fit
2: yeah there's been a lot of words on twitter from different reporters that the dysfunction that's surrounded things and also the power you know the the pyramid of how things work within the organization it's not a very attractive thing to a person who's trying to be a gm because you always have to report to Jimmy Haslam. You always have to report to Paul D. Podesta. Yeah. And honestly speaking, you're not going to find many NFL guys that are going to want to do that. Right. Because if you're a GM that is a classic NFL GM, all of the lines of a John Dorsey or someone like a Peyton, their thought is, well, this is my team now to pick the personnel that I see fit for right. this group. It leads me to this question, too, Joe. If you're the Browns and you have this much trust in Paul D. Podesta, why not just make him your GM? Ooh, no. But it seems like they want to do that
1: because they're using him to make a bunch of other decisions. That's a good point. But uh, I, I this scares me. I thought things were moving along pretty well. I like the staff he's hired so far. Mm-hmm. Um. He's obviously going to get the San Francisco guy to be the defensive coordinator. I was hoping he would get Gary Kubiak, but Kubiak's out as the offensive coordinator. But he's got experienced guys on offense who have been coordinators, two of them.
2: The guy that I like the most that they picked up was Callahan. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Having a, a guy who has been a head coach... At the college level, at the NFL level, a coordinator, and has been successful in all phases is huge to a guy that's never been a head coach like a Stefanski. I know Stefanski has been on a staff for a while at Minnesota. I think he spent his whole career there so far. But having a guy like a a Bill Callahan, that can only help a situation because I think it's something that they lacked last year, Joe, which is that they didn't have any guys in that locker room that were coaches with a lot of coaching experience. Like most of the guys that well, were there. Steve Wilkes. But even Steve Wilkes, like he had never been successful. If you look at him and Munkin, like they had never been successful in higher up positions. They had had maybe one year of success, but never like elongated success. A Callahan one. has moved from roster to roster or has moved from team to team and has had success in most franchises. So that's, to me, that's a big positive. We'll continue this.
1: Um, uh, There's some other stories I want to get to, Eli Manning, and I want to continue talking about the Browns at this point uh, for a little bit. Not long. We have to get in this virus. This thing is, you know, people are saying, well, we're not worried about it. We're not worried about it. Uh, We'll see. Stay tuned. We are back and I'm just unnerved about this about that about Peyton pulling out that uh, uh, anybody doesn't know George Peyton is the assistant GM of the Minnesota Vikings been there a long time supposed to be very good Chris Spielman even came out and said it's a perfect marriage uh Peyton and Stefanski it would work out perfectly well Peyton pulled out so now w- what we've got is this void again Uh, who wants this job, who's going to take this job. It's an important job. Just like I think finding a good offensive coordinator is good also is important. Um, How this structure is going to work really disturbs me. It's definitely something to be concerned about, considering the fact
2: that I think the Browns really wanted to get it right this time with everything, and this again leaves.
1: It just sends a signal that the organization isn't set in the structure to be attractive to a good general manager.
2: Well, and and that continues to be the problem every single time, that regardless of what Haslam or somebody in the organization says, you always end up in the same spot. Because there is so much dysfunction. Because most NFL teams do not have a structure where you have to report to an analytics guy and report to the owner every week and report to this person every week and that person. I mean, are you meaning to tell me that Bill Belichick every week turns in his game plans to Robert Kraft? Hell no, that doesn't happen. No. So it's like, why do the Browns think that, hey... We need to reinvent the wheel.
1: That's Be- because of Haslam's ego. He wants to run. He's 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 Jerry Jones on steroids because he doesn't know anything about football, which makes him even worse. Jerry Jones did. He actually played the game. He actually was uh, was someone who knew football, whereas Jimmy Haslam knows nothing about football and yet has the ego of Jerry Jones. So you've got a problem.
2: Isn't it unique to you, and this is something that I've thought about a lot, that the two teams that are in the Super Bowl, if you look at their structure of what makes them great, in the case of Kansas City, they have a head coach who has been there and done it a ton of times. He is a guy that's been in the NFL for a while, understands how to coach a team the right way, has won a lot of key games. And because of that, there's a discipline on that team that is so high that they're constantly good week in and week out.
1: No, here's the here's the difference. Who's the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs? I have no idea. Who's the owner of the San Francisco Forty? ers Yeah, I have no idea about that either.
2: Bingo. But the other thing I was going to say, though, is that the people that are in these positions, though, of key status, meaning head coach and GM in all of these situations, they're longtime football guys as well. John Lynch. But he was never a GM. Yeah, but again, he is a Hall of Fame caliber guy. Yeah. And that helps. And I think regardless of what people would want to say about the Browns, they've never
1: had those type of guys in those roles. Like even, even They can't have those guys in those roles because those guys have to report to Jimmy Haslam. So they can't have those. George Payton was that kind of a guy. I know. So the, uh, they couldn't get him. And, and plus, there's so much dysfunction. Who wants who? You know... uh They're going to end up with the guy from Philadelphia, likely, unless he pulls out, too, and says, look, I don't want to do this. I I want to move on to Eli Manning. Sure. Um, It was interesting. Everybody was bashing Eli Manning. As soon as he retires, suddenly it's nothing but glowing stuff, which is deserved. It should have been before. But when he was playing last year, Mm -hmm. he was bashed. Oh, all the time. Bashed by everyone, benched. Now everyone's coming out and saying, you know, what a great quarterback he was, what a wonderful person he was. It's amazing to me how that has turned around. What cracks me up about Eli Manning and and the way that people view him
2: is that I think he is a... Let me put it like this. He's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I think he is a Hall of Famer. I mean, based on... The things he did in the postseason, the couple times that they won Super Bowls, and how key he was to the Giants' success of the last 20 years, I think it's hard to say otherwise. But it's always been interesting to me that he was the type of quarterback that could have a career year, and nobody would ever talk about him. And then he would have a horrible year, and all people would do is say, well, he's a horrible quarterback, the Giants shouldn't use him anymore, this, that, and the other. And when push came to shove every time, Joe, when they needed him to come through, he always made the big throws, he always managed the game the right way, and in those playoff runs, you could argue that he played some of the best football that any quarterback has played in the last 20 years.
1: You know why? he? Because he wasn't a personable guy outside. He, was, he didn't talk a lot. He didn't show a lot of emotion. He wasn't the type of guy who who sold himself. He he even even less than Peyton. You know, he, he was he was not that type of guy. And he even said that in his remarks. You know, I did it my way. I didn't do it the way everybody wanted. Everybody would have wanted to see it differently. But he didn't do it and and that's why he was an easy target. But now everybody is like praising him. Which yeah. All the people who were who were ripping him, the Raiders, are officially gone. The Raiders are officially the Las Vegas Raiders now.
2: I really hate this for the city of Oakland. Yeah, but. just because I, I just don't know why Las Vegas needs an NFL team. Money. I know. I know that, but it, it just—I don't know. It doesn't seem like an NFL scene. No, it's not at all. Having been there, it's like it just doesn't seem like Yeah. Like I don't think of that place as being like, yeah, this is where Gridiron would, you know, be great. Bingo. It's just and plus, here's the other thing. Because of what's in Las Vegas, you can't tell me that there's not a thought running through people's head that something is going to be fixed out there. I mean, come on.
1: A lot of people think the NFL's fixed
2: now. But everything, if you're in Vegas, where the casinos are literally right in your own backyard, I mean, I guarantee within the first three years of them being there, they'll win a Super Bowl. Just because. You think? I do. I really do. One, because they have John Gruden. So I'm
1: not a big John Gruden
2: am <laughs> I'm, I'm not huge on him either. But two, just because they're in Las Vegas. Just yeah. think about it. The first year that there was an NHL team in Vegas, what they do? They made a huge playoff run like that. I guarantee it's going to be the same thing with the NFL team, and maybe. the NFL is even more fixed than
1: maybe that's why any they moved there. That's that's plus there's just so much money. They're building a beautiful stadium. I mean, it's going to be amazing. We're going to switch gears off sports because I'm tired of talking about sports. Well, it's fine. We're going to talk about some other things. I want your input on some of these things. They're pretty. uh, I want to try and get through some of these stories that are. The guy who shot the German Shepherd in the face. Hmm. How, How do you do that? We're going to talk about that when we come back. We're going to talk about also the Space Force. You've heard of the Space Force. I have. Did you hear about their logo? I didn't. They came out with their logo for the Space Force. It looks eerily like another logo. We'll talk about that when we come back. You know, I'm we go to break and everybody checks their phones. <laughs> the Eagles were right. The Eagles were prophets. When they said, "We are all just prisoners of our own device." <laughs> they were prophets. How did they know? And by the way, if anyone gets a message from me about canned meat, don't open it. It's spam.
2: What do you do for a day job, Joe? Because <laughs> you should keep
1: it. <laughs> All right, this, this guy who shot his dog in the face. Behind bars, um, what, what could a dog do that you would shoot him in the face with a gun? I don't know.
2: I, I Honestly, Joe, I don't understand what any pet could do in any situation that would cause anyone to inflict harm on them
1: or an animal. Three-year-old German Shepherd was found walking along the side of the road with gunshot wounds to his face. About a week ago, and they arrested the guy. he's behind bars. Um, they said he was responsible for doing it. They don't say why he was responsible for doing it. Um, this was on the WHBC website by the way I, I just I was shocked by this I, I, i'm I don't understand how anybody could shoot anyone, uh, let alone a helpless dog. Just blows me away. Uh, That's.
2: I, I think this is something that we've that I've told you before, and you know, I, I I always feel this way that we don't deserve pets for the way that they are towards us. You know, all they ever show us, really, nine times out of ten, is is love in some way. It may not always be the way that we think it is, but I mean, if you have a dog or a cat, I do too. You know, it's a situation where, you know, you're. You're so important to them, yeah, and and they show it in so many different ways, yeah,
1: unconditionally, yeah. I I I just I I
2: and I and I don't understand how someone could be in a situation where they're like, "There's a dog over there. I'm going to go shoot it real quick." No, it's his dog. It's his dog. I see. I don't understand that in any way how anyone could ever get to
1: that point. All right? It's it's scary. And I can't even wrap my arms around that story, so I'm I'm not even going to. Now, maybe that cat, I couldn't even do it to that cat, but that cat doesn't give you unconditional love. No, history. they do. No, not that cat that I read earlier. Oh. The cat in the North Carolina shelter that stares deep into your soul, the, the Satan spawn cat. <laughs> I don't think that'll do it. There, Even those a, cats are nice. Yeah. A, <laughs> uh, a petition has going around asking Ohio legislators to create Harley's Law. A proposal that would require parents to report missing kids. This all comes from this uh Harley young James. man, yeah, who was got stuck in the chimney, his parents didn't report him. Uh he was last seen by his parents at 6 a.m. Uh, on December 20th. He wasn't reported till 11.35 on the 21st that he was missing. So a whole day and a half went by before they reported it. Now, the question I have in this is, why would you create a law for this? Shouldn't it just be uh, apparent? Common sense. Yes. Yes. That a, a kid is gone, a 14-year-old kid is gone from 6 a.m. on the 20th, and he's not reported to the police missing until yeah. 11.35 on the 21st.
2: Yeah, that's kind of odd that you would go... Because I remember when I was 14, if I spent, like a long period of time with a friend, you know, at their house or something, and I hadn't called my parents for a certain period of time, they would always call and, like, just double check on something to make sure that, like, hey, I'm going to pick you up at this time, or are you going to do
1: this, or are you going to do that? I had to report. First of all, we ate dinner at home. Yeah, every night. And so you had to be home for dinner. Always. You had to be home when the street lights came on. You know, those were things that were that are normal. I, I I don't understand this, and I also don't understand a law now. Let's add another law that we could enforce. The law is saying you got to report him immediately. Parents have to do that. It's a law. I, it's stupid I, to me. You know what happened to this young man is sad. Uh, what he was doing in a chimney, I have no idea. Yeah, but uh, but to create a for people to want a law again, you want government to get bigger, and you want government to enforce what parents should normally do for a fourteen-year-old person. That's all. Um, There's an app out. I wanted to talk about. There's an app out now that you could actually snap a picture of a person. And use this app to quickly discover that person's name, address, and other details. You could take a picture of them and find out. I could see you walking down the street, take a picture of you, and go into this app and find out everything about you, where you live, everything. That's scary. Yeah, I don't I don't it's like that. It's called the Clearview app. I don't like that one. Let but. strangers find your name, your info, just by snapping your picture. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of that world at all. That's that's there. That's there. Facial recognition is now used. I, I, I don't mind this. Facial recognition at airports where you actually you don't present an ID. Now, when I went to China... Everything is facial. Before you get into the country, they take multiple views of your face, like a 3D view of your face. You have to do that on a machine. You have to put both your hands on a machine to get all your fingerprints, all your your handprint. So when you go into China and all the cameras they have there, they immediately know who you are. They're using this now in Dallas, Detroit, Detroit. Newark, Fort Lauderdale, Houston, George Bush International Airport, John F. Kennedy International Airport, Orlando, Miami, Philadelphia, San Diego. They're using facial recognition now in airports across the U.S.
2: In uh, Montana, they're using a thing where they have a guy draw an abstract photo of you and they hand it to someone and say, does this look like this person?" (laughs) Technology so, takes a so, while to get. So to, everybody
1: has to sit and get a caricature done. Anyway. That's
2: right. Technology takes a while to get to Montana. They just they just discovered Picasso last <laughs> week. So
1: I just I, I find that. And why don't they use that facial recognition in elections? That way you don't have to carry an ID. You don't have to have an ID. The big argument is that I shouldn't. I I don't. Some people can't get IDs. So do facial recognition.
2: Could you imagine if they had had facial recognition in Chicago when JFK won? There would have been a lot of dead people that magically just voted.
1: <laughs> there would have been a lot of mobsters. Oh, that whole God. thing
2: is so funny. How they like went? They like literally went to a grave site and they just wrote down names. Well, and they doing, were like, "Well, this." Seems well, they like...
1: still do it now. To be honest with you.
2: But like it was, it was, it was creative
1: <laughs> when they did it. Yeah. But that, I I don't understand I I don't have a problem with the facial recognition at airports I really don't I don't have a problem with that I have a problem with things like the Clearview app um, just don't you know I, I don't want somebody snapping my picture walking down the street and 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 being able to find out who I am and where I live By the way, an extra piece
2: to that uh, Harley Dilly story: the kid did have a history of running away.
1: Well. So why wouldn't you report it? Duff, it was my fourteen-year-old son, and he was gone for three hours. Yeah,
2: no, I got now, you. No,
1: he was. They said he, he, he was in school. That twentieth, I guess. It was a Friday, I think. Yeah, but
2: when I was in school, I remember like if you got to come home. Yeah, like like when I was in high school, like if I was doing something after school and like I hadn't told my parents about it before school, I would call and say, Hey, like, you know, I'll be home late tonight or I will need to be picked up later than normal.
1: Yes. And that is common sense. That is not uh, that we are completely taking responsibility away from people by creating all these laws to tell people you've got to do this, you've got to report it, or else you go to jail. Really? You have a 14-year-old son. Makes no sense. Anyway, when we come back, we're going to get into this uh, virus that is sweeping through China. It's interesting because one of the cities that's going to be locked down, one of the cities that's going to be the highest in China Uh, in getting this virus is a city that I was in. Mm -hmm. And a lot of wonderful people there that I met really troubles me. Stay tuned. Okay, before we get into virus, I I wanted to get into this. uh, President Trump tweeted out, After consultation with our great military leaders, designers, and others, I am pleased to present the new logo for the United States Space Force the sixth branch of our magnificent military now i'm looking at a picture of the logo right now it looks exactly almost exactly like the starfleet command logo from star trek almost exactly so the great designers and the and the magnificent thinkers Just copied the logo from Star Trek. Go look at this. (laughs) It's the same thing. Unbelievable. They took away a couple stars and they took away a star in the middle, but it is a Star Trek logo. (laughs) That's funny. All right. I want to get into this, this, and I don't want to. I'm not gloom and doom, but, but, folks, what's going on should be getting a lot more coverage. I think it's getting a lot of coverage, but it, uh, you know, being in China, uh, being there, walking around Chenzhou, seeing the, the, how, I mean, everything is so compacted. In, in the cities in China, Chenzhou, it's like in that whole region right there, that southern region, there's like 15 million people. They're next to each other all the time. <clears throat> they live in, how, in housing developments that are close. There is no, like, very few individual homes unless you get outside far. The Shaolin Temple is there. Many temples are there, Buddhist temples. Um, it, it, this this virus is is doubling almost every day. It is kind of out of the bag now, um, and and I wanted to bring up a couple things. A hundred, it was about a hundred years ago that the influenza virus killed 50 million people worldwide, 50 million. It spread so fast, uh, up to 500 million people, one-third of the world's population at that time became infected. Uh, As many as 50 million died, or one out of every 30 human beings on the planet more Americans died from that influenza virus than men died in World War One. Many people believe uh, that that is the greatest fear that many people, many scientists and people f- worry about. The director of University of Minnesota Centers for Infectious Disease Research and Policy said a global influenza pandemic is number one, two, three, and four of our most feared public health crisis. Many people have said, <clears throat> and it was really funny because I read, not funny, but but true, um I read a, an article about a week ago. I wasn't even thinking of the virus at the time. Whereas uh, a scientist at John, John Hopkins last year modeled what would happen if a deadly coronavirus reached a pandemic scale. And, I, I, again, I, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to give facts. His simulated scenario predicted that 65 million people worldwide could die within 18 months of a, of a coronavirus pandemic. Uh, he went through this whole process and series of things and then tried to compare it to what's going on now. <clears throat> because this is a new virus. This is not something that we have seen. It's a new one. So they don't know if it can mutate. They don't even know yet for sure where it came from, although they think it came from a market uh, with fresh meat and animals in the Wuhan area of, of China. But they're not sure. They're not sure how it spreads yet. They're saying through the eyes. They're saying different things. They don't know if it's mutated, if it's come together from two different things. But it's a new virus. Um, Right now they're saying their first impression is that it's milder than SARS, although the death toll in China continues to rise. Uh, It is already two cases in the United States. We don't know how many people those two have infected. You know, there was 18 people that died in China. Now it's up to 51. The symptoms are respiratory infection, dry cough, things like that. Um, They are... Locking down cities in China, uh, major cities in China. This is, uh, flights have been canceled. Uh, Disneyland has has been shut down. People cannot fly in China right now. They cannot travel. They're locking down some of the major cities in China. Uh, but we, China has the advantage. They're actually building a hospital in ten days in China to handle. Doctors are passing out. Um, they're they're just there's just too many cases. They're flooding the hospitals. China has the ability to build a, a hospital in ten days to get to increase the number of people that they can. They can hospitalize. Uh, it it just keeps going on and on with this thing, and and I'm looking at the the cities that China is locking down, and one of the cities is the city that that I was at. Um, so there's a uh, there's a, they are saying that many, up to 350,000 people will have caught the disease by February. This is what the projections are. So far, it's infected 850 million people, 26 around the world so far this month. But they've done projections and say that it's truly out of the the point where it can be Really locked down, um, and that 350,000 people will likely catch a disease by uh, by February. I'm I'm looking at, at other things. The uh, they've closed down the the museums. One of the places that they're that they're saying that the we predict the cities with the largest outbreaks elsewhere in China to be Shanghai, Beijing, Chenzhou, which is where I was. Uh, we also predict that February by February 4th, 2020, the countries uh, or special administrative regions at greatest risks of importing the infection are Thailand, Japan, Taiwan, Hong Kong, in South Korea. Uh, they, Nurses, doctors are concerned about what's going on. What is the situation in the U.S.? So we have a confirmed case in Washington State. We have a confirmed case in uh, Chicago. There are 10 people in California that are currently being held in isolation while they test them. Their suspected cases have appeared in Los Angeles, Tennessee, Texas, but none of those have been confirmed. So they're monitoring about 43 people who believe have been in close contact with others. So that is where we're at in this thing. 14 people have so far been tested tested with it and found and confirmed cases in in uh, the UK, it's it's no longer uh, confined to China. Let's put it that way. So we've got some serious things going on with this, and and really, um, it, it there's some stats that tell you if something is is kind of self. Uh, sustaining, and those stats have come out, and I'm going to look at those when we come back. Uh, They're trying to contain this, but I I think it's beyond contain, and uh, we've got to be prepared. Hopefully, they'll come up with a vaccine for it, but it is a brand-new strain, and a lot of people have worried about this, this happening, and it is spreading through China, sadly, too fast for them to keep up with. We'll be back with more right after this. One of the things that uh, scientists do when they measure how a virus is spreading is that they, they measure each person who becomes infected with a coronavirus. How many people are they infecting? Now, they're saying in this case right now, because of the five-day incubation period where there's no symptoms, all these people have gotten out. And scientists say that on average, each person who has become infected with this, with this new strain of coronavirus, coronavirus is infecting between 1.4 and 2.5 other people. Now, a number higher than one, as this one is, means that an outbreak can continue to sustain itself without anyone catching the infection from the original source. So anytime you get over one, If one person is infecting one person, that's one thing. That can be contained. As soon as you get over one, that means the outbreak can, will continue to sustain itself. Uh, There's a New Year celebration going on. People have been traveling uh, through China. People are leaving China. People have been in China and Hong Kong and different places. This is the biggest fear that, that people in health organizations have of another pandemic. Now, I'm not saying this is going to be a pandemic. Uh, I'm, I have no qualifications to even say that. But it is much more serious, I think, than... Uh, In this country, we're kind of looking at it like, oh, well, it's just the flu. It's nothing to worry about. There's only a couple cases. As fast as it is spreading in China, uh, and I know that China is cramped. You know, it is tight, but so is New York City, and so is L.A., and so are parts of Texas, and so is Detroit and Chicago and everywhere else. That one person can infect multiple people and get this thing going to the point, where what do we do, lock down? We don't have the tolerance. We don't have the ability to lock down cities like they're doing in China. And even that's not stopping. <clears throat> so it's something we need to continue. You need to continue to monitor. Um if you know people who have traveled in the, in the Far East recently in, the, in any of those countries, if you have uh, and you start to get symptoms, obviously you need to report those and you need to uh, stay away from people. That's what's going on. And my heart goes out to people in, in uh, the, the people I met. I know people there now in Chenzhou. Um And you know I'm just hoping and praying that all those people somehow get treated and, and get helped. there's um, I talked about the other the other thing that is going on in our in our country is um, the, obviously the when you look at the pandemic of drug abuse, and you look at all the situations that uh, cause us problems, the offshoots of drug. Because the the person who is addicted is one part of that. The other part is the people who feed them the drugs, who sell them the drugs, the people who ship the drugs in, the people who manufacture the drugs to sustain the demand that is in our country, sadly. Um, We have spent literally more than our national debt in the war on drugs. We've incarcerated more people than any other country because of the war on drugs. We've broken up families. We don't treat. We do treat, but... Treatment places have to struggle for the secondary money because most of it goes to enforcement and the war on drugs and people trying to stop the cartels in other countries from meeting the demand that's in this country. Uh, And there's a gentleman, like I said, in Idaho who has put a bill on to stop or to Change the direction, at least in Idaho, uh, and to legalize, to decriminalize drug use and to get it more in the treatment phase. And we are going to talk with him when the week that was continues as to why he's doing it, what he hoped to accomplish, and the opposition that he's facing in trying to do this. So we're going to switch gears and talk about that pandemic as the week that was continues in hour number three. Stay tuned. Hour number three of the week that was, and Idaho State Senator Grant Burgoyne is not some young guy that's just wants to legalized drugs for some reason. He is uh, a noted uh, legislator. He, is, uh, he was selected, recognized as one of Idaho's top 100 trial lawyers. He is an adjunct professor of human resources, resources law at Boise State. He was a legislator of the year uh, by Mothers Against Drunk Driving. He is a father. He is a grandfather. Um, This is a well-thought-out piece of legislation, and there's a reason for it. And I wanted to have State Senator Burgoyne on the show, and I thank you so much for taking time on a Saturday morning to to be on with me, Senator.
0: It's nice to be with you, Gerald. Thank Thank you. you.
1: Why did you take the step to create a bill of this kind?
0: Well, the, uh, the issue of our dirt problem in the United States is just incredibly complex and difficult. And oh, it's, we have to have more honest discussions amongst ourselves about the nature of the problem and what we're going to do about it. I think over the course of the last year, I became increasingly frustrated as I dealt with the issue of occupational licensing, I served on a committee here in our Idaho legislature on that issue. And we encounter a lot of people who, when they're in their late teens or early twenties, get in trouble with the law over drugs or alcohol. And uh, we throw the book at them in the criminal justice system. And uh, even if they don't serve time in jail, uh too often they're going to carry a felony record around with them for the rest of their lives and we've spent a fair amount of time in the Idaho legislature uh after people have thrown the book at them trying to take the book away hmm. and uh, we do things like withheld judgments and expungements and uh occasionally we'll we'll see pardons uh later in life but uh, it's almost as if uh uh, we get buyers remorse about the felonies that we've given these these folks, and I, I started thinking about just kind of how crazy our system is that that we do this to people, and then we turn around and say, "Well, we really didn't mean it." Have a nice life. Yeah. And uh, you know, uh, I became convinced that uh, of a couple of things many years ago. One is. People who have drug problems, who are addicted, for whom drugs or alcohol are interfering with their lives, they need help. And uh, that can be family, that can be friends, that can be social institutions. But, you know, too often government is adding to the problem rather than helping with the problem. Uh, the second thing is the opioid crisis really put the the issue in stark relief. Um You go to your doctor, your doctor prescribes you opioid pain medication for a surgery or for a more chronic problem, and uh, the statistics are really quite frightening as to how quickly a certain percentage of the population can become addicted. Once they're addicted and their prescriptions run out, what do they do? Unfortunately, they often turn to illegal drugs or they acquire the drug illegally. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a felony. Um, Is it their fault? are they responsible for that should they be convicted of a felony uh that that makes no sense to me um, and uh i'm i'm uh, i've spent my legislative career uh devoted to issues in criminal justice and uh, i definitely believe that there is an appropriate place for arrest charging people with crimes convicting them and incarcerating them no question about that but these situations are not those kinds of situations and it is so clear you cannot arrest yourself out of our drug problems in america we need to recognize that kids who are targeted uh, kids uh, adults who are the unwitting victims of uh, prescription drugs that they become addicted to these people are more in the nature of crime victims not criminals
1: yeah and we and you take Yeah, I I go even further to a practical standpoint, uh, Grant. That that, and and we're talking with Idaho State Senator Grant Burgoyne, who who took this step uh, to decriminalize uh, and switch the focus to a health concern, treatment concern, rather than punishment concern. And I I even go a step further with saying, look. First of all, any time the federal government declares a war on something, you know it's going south. Uh, the war on poverty really didn't do a whole lot; hasn't done a whole lot. The war on drugs—we uh, have spent more than our national current national debt on the war on drugs. Uh, we've incarcerated. Far too many people for minor infractions that ruin their lives. Um, we 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 have created by this. Uh, I, I guess I go back to the to the and I've said this many times on my show the prohibition of alcohol and what it caused in our country with the rise of people like Al Capone and the gangs and all the things that went on, the same thing is happening with drugs. And we're pushing a vast amount of money, and this is, this is kind of heartless and practical, but we're pushing a vast amount of money to an underground economy that doesn't filter back up to the government or anybody. Uh, all these things point to this isn't working. This is insanity, what we keep doing.
0: Well, I agree with you, Joe. I, you know, um, uh, in, my, in my legal career, uh, I ran across pharmaceutical companies every once in a while. And uh, I remember many years ago thinking, you know, uh, the, 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 the business model for the tobacco industry, now the nicotine industry, the business model for uh, the painkiller industry, even though those companies are legal, they operate above ground. Their business model is the same as a drug cartel. Find them young, hook them young, and you've got them for life. Yeah. And, um, you know, we need to be honest with ourselves about the degree of harm legal drugs are doing when they are used illegally, and I would say in the case of tobacco, which I view as a gateway drug into more serious problems that too many of our youth fall into, that um, if you look at at what's happening with tobacco and nicotine and the connection to marijuana, I mean, you know, tobacco and, and nicotine get flavored, turned into candy, it's attractive to children, you get them to cross the line into their own illegal use of those products because they're underage. It just makes it more likely that they're going to move into other drugs. Um, and um, um, you, you look at what happened in the opioid crisis, uh, and, and you see how people are hooked. Um, and uh, people just uh, don't assume any social and corporate responsibility. Uh, in these organizations for the consequences.
1: Yeah, and I, um, now, I have to ask you this, Grant, and uh, y- you know this isn't going to go anywhere in the state House and the state Senate. It's probably, I, I think you probably knew that going in. But I did know that. So why did. why did you, did you do it strictly for the dialogue?
0: I did it for two reasons. Okay. I, did it for the di- I did it for the dialogue, but I've worked on a piece of legislation now for close to 10 years that is likely to pass this session. Um, sometimes legislation takes a long time, yep. and I've been blessed by my constituents with the time in the Idaho legislature where I could take on a project that lasts a decade. And uh, while I probably won't be serving another decade in the Idaho legislature, uh, there will be people who come along after me uh, who will continue to push on this issue. There are, the, there are more and more people, we are in the minority, but there are more and more people who are beginning to, to be willing to step forward and say this is a system that's not working. I've been criticized uh, by members of law enforcement.
1: Oh, yeah, I know.
0: Some, including some that I've been uh, worked very closely with. Uh, on other issues but i've also received support from from members of law enforcement at this point it's private support um i i'm reminded of an issue that came up in our state regarding driver privilege cards for people who don't have social security numbers and are undocumented and quite a few states have done that and i put in a personal bill uh several years ago uh on driver privilege cards and uh then we had uh one of my uh, counterparts in the legislature stepped forward this year and, and uh, put out a proposal for a driver privilege card, and it's gaining support, and it's getting support from, from a lot of places more publicly. So, you you know, you have to start somewhere, and this is the place to start in Idaho on this issue. Uh, this is a state where um, we're not getting a conversation uh, about how we're going to deal uh, with our drug problems, uh, we're we're pretty locked down in terms of our, our institutional responses of, of being limited to a criminal justice response and and uh, we've even had proposals in our legislature to um, tighten up how we do initiatives because of the concern that uh, uh, initiatives in uh, neighboring states uh, here in the West have been uh, have been uh, legalizing marijuana, and um, so uh, there's been an effort uh, from the top down to try and and, uh, tighten up on initiatives so that we can't have that in Idaho. Now, you know, I'm not advocating uh, the legalization of marijuana or any other drug. What I'm saying is we need to get out there in front of this problem and talk about how we're going to deal with it in a responsible and a grown-up way, and we've been trying... Uh, to um, demonize uh, the people who um, fall into drug use uh, for many decades now, uh, at least 70 years, if not more, and it's it's not a compassionate or a humane approach. Just as importantly, it doesn't work, and we know that. Yes. Yeah, definition of in- yeah, Definition of insanity <laughs> is doing the same thing over and over again and getting the same unsatisfactory result
1: absolutely i i'm actually further than you on this where where i think the only answer to this the only answer is to decriminalize all drug use to to put it in the hands of the of the state such as how alcohol is now with state stores and things like that and, and taking that money and using that money in treatment and taking the power away from the cartels and the gangs now you're still going to have some under the table stuff but but i mean it's like going now and the you know you may have a still in kentucky and the guy's selling alcohol to people but that isn't where the majority of the people are going for their for their beer or their whiskey or whatever i I just think and and i'm a firm believer of this and i i know i take heat from it but there's got to be a way for people to put their heads together and say let's stop this prohibition on drugs people are going to do it they're going to find ways of doing it let's legalize it let's tax it let's let's Control the quality of it and the dosage of it because otherwise it's not going to work. I think I'm probably too far over from even you.
0: Well, I think your point of view um, let's put it this way all of us have different perspectives, all of us have our own personal views on this problem. We need to get all of those views to the table. For, the, for a serious public policy discussion in my state, including your point of view. A point of view, frankly, that an awful lot of people in my state don't want to have at the table. Bingo. I don't think that's correct. While, you know, I might draw the lines differently than you do, uh, you might draw them differently than I do. Um, I've been the first to say, after having worked in criminal justice now uh, for 10 years, 12 years, um, uh, in terms of my legal or legislative career, I don't have answers at this point. All I have are questions. What? I have to do, and and my colleagues have to do a lot of listening. And we have to listen to people like you. We have to listen to a more traditional, say, law enforcement uh, or uh, drug rehabilitation counselor point of view, or or whatever, but we've got to listen to everybody because none of us have got good answers on this.
1: As an attorney who is dealing with this, and you've talked to all your colleagues who who are in criminal justice, is the problem getting better, or is it getting worse?
0: I think our problem is getting somewhat worse, um, because I think what we saw with the opioid crisis was uh, a very effective scheme on the part of certain pharmaceutical companies to take an opiate, uh, generally viewed uh, by many people uh, as a dangerous drug, to be used very sparingly. And we saw that injected into our society in what had the appearance of legality um, and uh, sweep through the country. Um, and so it's almost as if you saw uh, actors cloaked in legality behaving or picking up a page from the kind of conduct that you see from the, the modern-age bootleggers. And I, I think that's I, – I, I'm worried about what's going to be the next, quote-unquote, legal drug that they do that with, and the, then the next. And if we aren't playing a game of whack-a-mole with the Big Pharma on uh, this sort of thing, um, and uh, putting uh, – you can, you can say that our drug crisis in America has been – On steroids for many years. Well, it's on something even more than steroids now. When the people who are advertising drugs on your television are the people who are putting the most dangerous drugs and creating some of the most dangerous problems out there, cloaking it in this aura of legality. See, I think that I think is just a whole new dynamic.
1: And I agree. Uh, I, I, I actually believe that the cat's out of the bag, that we're already at a point where right now there's there's the drug companies that have done this with the opioids. There's also, you know, people getting arrested for small amounts of marijuana. They're doing it just and, and we're spending so much money trying to track down and control other countries that are allowing some of this thing to go on. Mexico, Colombia, different places that where we have no jurisdiction, so to speak, but we're injecting money and time and lives into those countries to ha- to handle the problem. Um, I, I, you know, I wish you the best. I really do. I think it's courageous for you doing this because I know you're taking some heat on it. Um, I think more people like you need to need to inject some, what people may say, radical thoughts into this crisis because people are refusing to do it, and we just continue as a government, as a federal government, as state governments, to do exactly the same thing over and over, and it's not working. So Idaho State Senator Grant Burgoyne, I wish you the best. I commend you, and uh, I thank you for coming on. I will follow your story. Thank you, Joe. You have a wonderful day, and and my best to you. Likewise. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We have, uh, I'm just, you know, I I don't know, folks. I know that a lot of people think this is radical. Um, And I, and I, I, I kind of struggle with that, but I don't, because it is truly my belief that, that we need to have some serious dialogue in this country, and we refuse to do it, about what is going on. We've, we've, incar- we've tried to incarcerate our way out of this. We've tried to throw money at it. We've uh, tried to reach into other countries to make them stop, uh, and at the same time, we're not increasing the money to treatment centers. We're not increasing the money. We we have we've and at the same time we've kind of given up the ghost on this, where we have. Drug turn-in, we have needle replacement things because we we have Narcan all over the place because we know people are going to overdose. We know people are going to use needles. And so we've, at the same time of fighting it, we've kind of given up on it. We've had murders, deaths in this country, in this city from young people who were in gangs. They're in gangs for multiple reasons, but basically there's money to be made in those gangs, and we allow that to happen. And at the same time, that's an underground economy that will never be tapped for taxes, never be tapped for the public good. We can't keep doing it. I commend this, this gentleman for doing what he's doing. I know he's taking heat. Um, law enforcement officials don't like it. They probably don't. I know they don't like what I'm saying. But where are we going to be 10 years from now? Another $20 trillion spent? N- more More enforcement? More people? More families broken up? More of people's lives ruined from simple possession of something? We've got to have a discussion. And uh, I, I think the only way to do it is completely decriminalize drug use. And I know you can call me and let me know what you think, but... Uh, like he said, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. It isn't going to happen. It isn't going to happen. Stay tuned. The week that was will continue right after this. You know, we're off of that. Princess Cruises is now kicking off a 111-day – I had to sneeze – a 111-day – Uh Uh-oh. I sneezed. 111 day around the world voyage on Monday. 111. I, I took a cruise once. I hated it. I hated it. First of all, I felt confined. Um. I spent a lot of time in the gym, the little gym area they had, rock climbing. I got into that. The casino, I got into that because I love playing blackjack and things like that. The competition, again. Um, But I – and then coming back, we went to Mexico. Coming back, it was – Two solid days of storms. They closed the deck off up top. People were confined downstairs to their room. People were puking everywhere. Um, Sick. It was miserable. Miserable. You, you're always at that risk. If, I, if I'm going to go somewhere, I'm going to go to an all-inclusive. It's the same thing, except you're, the boat doesn't move. The, the island doesn't move, <clears throat> usually. I, But 111 11 days? Could you be on the ocean? Would you want to do that? It's around the world. So I'm sure they stop at some great ports. Make sure there's not a guy named Gilligan that's on that boat. 111 days on a boat. How many of you would like to do that? 12? We'll make 12 late-night stays to maximum, maximize time in popular destinations such as Melbourne, Tahiti, Thailand, Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, a total of 20 UNESCO World Heritage Sites will be toured throughout the trip. There's actually, it's not as long, I didn't realize this, there's actually another, the Ultimate World Cruise by Viking Cruise Line. It costs ninety-two thousand nine hundred and ninety dollars per person to take a two hundred and forty-five day ultimate world cruise. Now, if I had ninety-two thousand dollars, I wanted to spend. There's much more. There's many more things I would do with that. If I just had $92,000 that for some reason I wanted to throw out, I'd, wouldn't you rent your own boat? Get a captain? I don't know. That's crazy to me. I don't think I'd want to do that. What? J.D.
2: sent me a text. He said, it sounds like you're talking about the U.S. Navy. They'll pay you for that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's a good point. Join the Navy. Uh, hey, you know, Volvo is giving away $1 million worth of cars during the Super Bowl. They're During the Super Bowl, if one team scores a safety, Ooh, you think this is going to happen now because game's out of reach. Let's help some people out. I'm going to drop back 20 yards, take a knee in the end zone. I wonder if they would pay that then. If any team scores a safety, Volvo will give away 100 and mil, 100, no $1 million worth of cars to people who entered the contest. They're doing it, this is a, a, a thing to emphasize the safety of Volvo's. And so they're going to advertise that and do that. I'm looking forward, that's what I'm looking forward to, Super Bowl. Actually, I think this Super Bowl is the most exciting, the, the most compelling game that I could remember watching because of these two teams. I I honestly am looking forward to this Super Bowl, but I'm looking forward to it from the uh, standpoint of the game also. But I love the ads too. Longtime PBS NewsHour anchor Jim Lehrer died, uh, 85 years old. I used to love uh, his show with, with Robert McNeil, uh, the McNeil Lair report. I thought it was a great report. I thought the way they did it, uh, he moderated 12 presidential debates more than anyone else. Uh, he was, uh, I, that was a show that was almost like I'd put their news hour, their news show, at the level of Huntley and Brinkley, if you remember that you don't remember that oh steven they were they were two of the best huntley and brinkley no nonsense report the news um they were at the same time as walter cronkite That's when network news was really amazing i mean walter cronkite huntley and brinkley and then you had the uh, the McNeil Lair report, which I thought was they they were they were unbelievable. Uh, so they were uh, he he has passed away at at age eighty five. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, uh, I don't know how much time we're gonna have. We're gonna do our contest, so get ready. Get your foam fingers ready. Contest coming up. Stay tuned. Yes, it is contest time. You get a $25 gift card to Anytime Fitness. It is time to start on your journey to fitness, to health. $25 gift certificate will get you started at Anytime Fitness. Let's go to caller number one. What's your name, please?
3: Oh... Good morning, Joe.
1: Liz! Yes. Good, you could give this away. Liz, how are you?
3: I am doing good. I am doing fine, and Joe, I want to if I I don't, I didn't care if I didn't get in for winning, I want to wish you a happy birthday early. Oh, how did you know? I got it marked in my calendar.
1: Wow. And
3: and I'll tell you, it's on the thirtieth is my husband, so that's easy to remember, and he's gone, of course. Oh. But yeah. I have your name on there, and and this—that's one of the main reasons I've even calling. It's oh. just to touch base with you, and so God bless you, and hope Mom's doing good. She
1: is. She Mom, is. Mommy's
3: working good for her. Yeah,
1: she's <laughs> oh. doing. She's doing good, and and. Uh, it's funny, because my son's birthday, Zach, his birthday yes. is the 30th also. Is, is that right?
3: Yes. Well, that's the first date to me. And, uh, yeah. And you, well, I, you made my day. Well, this I'll think
1: of you. And,
3: I am doing good. I'll I think
1: of you good. and think of your husband. Yes. Who yes. I know was an extraordinary man.
3: Yes, he was.
1: Yeah,
3: uh, I, I, will, I will say
1: that. And you're an amazing lady, Liz.
3: Well, uh, they can can't—they still can't believe you came here to visit me. Uh, it is so nice.
1: Well, it, it was my pleasure. I couldn't wait to well, meet you. Was yeah. It was
3: wonderful. Thank the Lord.
1: Thank you. <laughs> I'm
3: glad you're doing well. Went to China and uh, did all of that. and uh,
1: And came home. <laughs>
3: Yes, yes. You have an amazing, you have an amazing show. Thank I mean, you. It's more than just a show.
1: Thank you so. much. Thank you. So, Liz, I, know,
3: I do have the answers. Well, Liz, to.
1: I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you the questions, and if you win, you could give okay. these away. Okay. Like you do That's always.
3: That's sure true. I do this time. Oh, well,
1: you'll find someone. When Michael, <laughs> when Michael Jordan played for the Chicago Bulls. How many NBA championships did he win? Oh, six. Yes. Which boxer was known as the
3: greatest
1: yeah. who?
3: Muhammad Ali.
1: Yes. You
3: remember him? I sure do and the name came up I had worked for Collective Service uh-huh. back in
1: That's right. That's right. And
3: and his name came up because he was refusing or something. Yes. Yes. Um, Oh, well, don't
1: go into that. No. Which racer holds the record for the most Grand Prix wins?
3: Oh, Michael Shoemaker.
1: Yep, you got it. Liz, (laughs) you are the winner, and I'm going to put you on hold. And Stephen's going to get your information. Somebody could come in, whoever you pick, they could come in and get the $25 gift certificate to Anytime Fitness. Yes.
3: All right. I love bless you. you. I, I do. T- I love you, too, Joe.
1: You take care I, of yourself, okay?
3: I will. And I'll, will. I
1: hope to talk to you soon.
3: Yes. God bless you, yeah. and your mom, all yeah. and your family, and Zach. Now, happy birthday. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. All right. Liz is on hold. I absolutely love her. She is an amazing, amazing lady. In her 90s and with the... Most incredible attitude I have ever seen. So, John. Yes, sir. In the time we have left, what's wrong? She hung up? Liz, call back. Why'd you hang up? Liz, call back. She'll call back. Um, Liz, call back. There she is. Um, I am going... To an event, I bought a table. I invited you. You don't want to go. But on the seventh, you know how what a boxing fan I am.
2: I know you love it.
1: I have gloves down, autographed by Buster Douglas in my in my basement. Um, <clears throat> the The event is a charity event in Columbus. I'm hoping to have Jeremy Schapp on next week. On the show because he's going to be there yes, uh, he's going to be the MC. it is an event honoring uh, first of all, it's a charity event. The money's going to go to children in the columbus area it's It's a very, very worthy cause, but uh, it's the thirtieth anniversary of Buster Douglas knocking out Mike Tyson. Buster Douglas will be there. His manager, Archie Griffin is the chairman of the event he is going to be there along with many other ohio state greats present and former
2: have you ever had buster on the show
1: i'm going to have buster on the show i'm working on that now i'm going to have buster on the show i'm hoping to have buster and jeremy shapp who was the producer co-producer of 42 to 1 which is a documentary that absolutely must be seen um, Weren't those the odds that were against him yes. in that fight? Yeah. He was forty-two to one underdog and won that fight, and won it unbelievably. Uh, he almost got knocked out. Could you imagine if that was like
2: that one fight that you, as like someone that's like really rich, decided they were like, you know what, I'm going to put a million dollars down yeah. on Buster Douglas? There's just, probably people who did just for the hell of it. There's probably people who did. I mean, people walked away so rich from that fight. Yeah. I'm going to go.
1: I, so did Buster Douglas. He did. <laughs> he did. He's, hey,
2: he he didn't have to fight again after that. He could have quit after that yeah, fight.
1: Yeah, yeah. And his legacy would have been I made. Know, I know. It was unbelievable. His mother had died uh, maybe two weeks earlier. Uh, he was inspired by her. He actually got in the best shape he's ever been in. I can't wait to meet him. Um I'm looking forward to to interviewing Jeremy Schaap. I've already gotten in touch with him and um we're we're gonna see if we could put together and, and I'm working with uh, Buster Douglas's people, but the event is going to be amazing. Jeremy Schaap is emceeing M- the event. Um Again, Archie Griffin who I've I've had on the show and had discussions. You, you and Archie know each other yeah. too. <laughs> so it it's gonna be outstanding. Um uh, I'm going down there on the seventh and it's gonna be a major event and I'm I'm looking forward to it. As a boxing fan, there's no better thing to go to. And it's like, okay, this is a must go to. I need to I need to be down there to celebrate.
2: There's a part of me that wishes that <laughs> I think boxers more than any sport that I wish you could take. Like I don't know, like Max Bear or somebody, or like you know one of the great fighters, like Joe Lewis, and have them fight Muhammad Ali.
1: They they did that, did they? Yeah, they they had a uh, they did a simulated boxing match. They they were doing this for a while. For some reason, they stopped doing it. Where they put all the stats in, all the physical traits and everything, and they put boxers together. For instance, they had Rocky Marciano fighting Muhammad Ali. Okay. And they actually then digitally put this in and had a fight. It was amazing. I'll have to go back and see if I can find this. You could find it. Rocky Marciano against Muhammad Ali, they actually did a fight. I I think Marciano won. Okay. I think. But but you have to go back and see. That would be a great thing to do. My favorite is Jim Braddock. The underdog. The bulldog. The, the, the bulldog of... Briscoe. No, not Briscoe. Yeah, it was Briscoe. No. Broughton, I think. I thought it was the bulldog of Briscoe. i got to look this up really quick. Anyway, you'll do it, but we are got to go off the air. I want to thank you, John. I want to thank you, Stephen, for everything you do to get this show off the air and put up with me. J. David Ress with the Bergen. news. Of Bergen. Yes, New Jersey. Have a great week, everybody. Make something great happen, and I'll talk to you next Saturday.